Constance. And I'm Lucinda. And together in our Kids Law podcast, we're going to take a look at how laws affect children as we grow up. So what are we going to look at in this episode, Alma Constance? Well, I was wondering if there are any laws that affect Christmas. That's an interesting question, and the answer is yes. You'll remember that last year, in December 2020, the government put the UK back into lockdown because of the rising rates of COVID infection. And they passed laws in Parliament to restrict us travelling to see friends and relations. And there were very strict rules about who we could spend time with and where we could celebrate Christmas. There have certainly been winter festivals and celebrations from very early times, and there are many religious traditions at this time of year, for example, Hanukkah in Judaism and Diwali for those who follow the Hindu faith. In the UK, Christmas is a big event because it marks the birth of Jesus in the Christian calendar, and historically that has been the main focus of celebrations in this country. It's an interesting time as it's a mixture of traditions, a joyful religious celebration for some, and also a fun time to get together with friends and family with presents and lots of delicious meals. And there have been laws over the years which affect how people can behave at this time of year. Let's talk to Russell Sandberg, Professor of Law at the School of Law and Politics at Cardiff University in Wales, who has a particular interest in law, history and religion. Russell. Welcome to our Kids Law Podcast. Can you please tell us more about why we have laws that affect how people celebrate events together? Thanks very much indeed. It's great to be with you. Now, laws, of course, cover all aspects of our lives, and this includes events such as Christmas uh, and indeed Easter and other religious festivals. Humans the world over celebrate important rituals together, births, marriages and deaths, for instance. It's often a way of marking the seasons, and you see that with harvest festivals, spring, uh, and Christmas in particular gives us an opportunity to enjoy ourselves right in the middle of winter when it's dark and gloomy outside. And from early times onwards, the people who held power over others have been the ones trying to tell people what they can do during these festivals, from tribal leaders to kings to queens and to the government today. It's the rulers who decide what you can and can't do at Christmas. And it's the religious beliefs of the rulers that often shape what is lawful and what is not. So religious rules then impact upon all aspects of people's lives. What food you can eat, uh, when you can work, who you can get married to, how you can get married to and so on. Are there laws which affect people celebrating festivals like Christmas these days? Yes, indeed, there's an awful lot of laws. As Lucinda mentioned earlier, um, the clearest example of this was last Christmas when the pandemic restrictions uh, affected who could gather together. However, there's many laws that affect Christmas. There's over 3,000 pieces of law in this country that mention the word Christmas. And perhaps the most important of these are the ones that allow people time off to celebrate Christmas. Employment laws means that the majority of businesses and banks are closed. For example, the Factory and Workshop Act 1878 stated that the whole of Christmas Day was going to be a holiday for children, young persons and women who were employed in any factory or workshop. It's still 
not the case that everyone uh, gets Christmas Day off, but it's often seen as a non-working day. So it's treated legally um, as if it's Sunday or bank holiday. And the Christmas Day Trading Act 2004 stops large shops from opening on Christmas Day itself. Uh, this act came about after a few large shops started to open their doors on Christmas Day, and the government undertook a public consultation to which an overwhelming 97% of people responding wanted the large shops to stay closed on a Christmas Day, so not to undermine the special nature of Christmas Day itself, uh, and also so that people didn't have to work long hours over Christmas as well. There are also some really strange laws uh, that apply to Christmas and that apply to Christmas Day. So the Hunting of the Game Act in 1831 uh, states that you cannot kill hares, peasants or partridges, or use a gun or a dog to kill them on a Sunday or indeed on Christmas Day. And this might be because Christmas Day was treated as if it was a Sunday. The idea being that it was still very much the Lord's Day. Can you tell us more about strange Christmas traditions? Have people always celebrated Christmas in the same way? Absolutely. Uh, the celebration of Christmas has changed dramatically over the centuries. Before Christmas was celebrated, as we've already heard, there were other winter festivals, such as Yule. And many of those traditions associated with those older festivals were brought over to Christmas. And in the medieval period, uh, the focus was not just on Christmas Day itself. It was on the 12 days of Christmas, starting on the 25th and going on uh, to the 12th night epiphany. And it was because people fasted in the run up to Christmas, they really then let off steam uh, in terms of the 12 days of Christmas. And the activities were often boisterous and chaotic. And the person in charge of festivities would often be called the Lord of Misrule. And there'd be lots of drinking and lots of games and Christmas carols were sung. But at this time, the Christmas carols were sung in feasts and not in churches, because often the Christmas carols included rude words. And sometimes servants would be in charge of the day. Servants would take over and be in charge of their masters, bossing them around. And there was also a tradition where one of the boys, and it would only be a boy, unfortunately, uh, one of the boys would become the boy bishop. And the bishop is the priest in charge of a particular area. And so the boy bishop would basically take on his role over the Christmas period and would do things like marrying people. But those marriages would only last for 24 hours. And the kings in medieval England had huge, huge, huge feasts, um, which many, many people would gather um, at their courts to eat. And one royal feast at Christmas time in 1213 under the reign of King John, who you might remember from the Robin Hood stories, saw 400 heads of pork, 30,000 fowl, 15,000 herring and 10,000 eels eaten during that feast alone. And there would also be entertainment. And in the reign of Henry II, there was a court jester called Roland. And Roland was given a large manor house 
in return for being the king's jester. And he had one special duty that he had to perform on Christmas Day. And this duty is in the law books. We look at the law books, it's called the Book of Fees. It outlines what his duty was. And his duty on Christmas Day was to perform, and I quote, a leap, a whistle and a fart on Christmas Day. Because at this time, there was what was known as professional flatterists. And basically, uh, it was entertainment for the king to see people break wind in an entertaining day. And this man called Roland is mentioned in the Book of Fees, and his name in the Book of Fees is Roland de Farter. Were there more strict rules in the past about what people could do? Yes, there were, absolutely. And this was particularly true in the period following the Civil War in the 17th century. Now, the Civil War was a conflict between the king, Charles I, and Parliament, and the king lost. And so Parliament took over and a man called Oliver Cromwell became the Lord Protector, became basically the head um, of England. And he was the leader in Parliament and he was a Puritan. And the Puritans were a religious group which linked Christmas with drunkenness and bad behaviour. And they opposed the celebrations and the feasting and wanted to follow the Bible literally. And so in 1642, they banned all plays. You couldn't go to the theatre in um, England. And that had a massive effect on Christmas because Christmas was seen as the peak of the theatrical season, as it is today with pantomimes and that kind of thing. So this had a dramatic effect on Christmas. And then in 1644, December the 25th, Christmas Day, fell on the last Wednesday of the month. And this was important because at this time, the last Wednesday of every month was usually a day of fasting. And Parliament decided that December the 25th, Christmas Day that year, would still be a day of fasting, even though it was Christmas Day. But many people didn't listen and many people still celebrated and had lots and lots of food and drink as normal. Then in 1645, three years later, they changed the prayer book in churches so that Christmas Day was no longer marked. And in 1647, Christmas became completely banned by a law called an ordinance for abolishing festivals. Under that, festivals, commonly known as holy days, were banned. And this led to rioting. People on the streets rioting and some people rebelled by decorating their hallways, their doorways with holly. Some shops still remained closed as rebellion and for 13 years, 13 long years, there was no Christmas across England until the monarchy came back, Charles II in 1660, and when Charles II became king, all the laws that had been made under Cromwell were declared void. They were no longer law. And that meant that Christmas could be celebrated again. Hooray. From 1660, was Christmas then celebrated in the same way as it had been before the Civil War? Well, when it was legal again after Charles II became king, Christmas continued to be a little bit subdued. It wasn't celebrating quite the same way as had been before or indeed now. 
And indeed, during the 18th and 19th centuries, Twelfth Night parties became popular. Christmas, as we celebrate it today, is really a product of the Victorian era in the 19th century. And the Victorians reimagined Christmas as a family festival and also focused on the need to help others. And Christmas cards, crackers, Christmas pudding and turkey are all said to date back to this Victorian times. Other older traditions were brought back, but in a new form. The medieval Christmas feast developed into the Christmas dinner that we enjoy today. And the practice of carol singing was revived, but without the rude words. And it was really the Victorians who concentrated the festival into two days, Christmas Day and Boxing Day. Are there any laws today that control when we put up decorations? Um, yes, there's no specific um, rules on this or specific laws, but there's general laws on nuisance and on health and safety. So it's often really a question of balancing the rights, your rights to put up decorations against the rights of your neighbours. And what matters really is the context. Does it interfere with the neighbours' enjoyment of their land? And you could also be liable if your Christmas decorations hurt anyone. So if you're putting up a Father Christmas decoration on your roof, then make sure it's securely fastened. And in some countries, there are specific rules in this. I think that there's some American states where it's illegal to keep Christmas lights up after the 14th of January, for instance, but not in the UK. Can you tell us more about your work as a professor of law? Absolutely, yes. I, I work at a university. And there's basically two sides to my job. One side is teaching law to students, which is very similar to the way in which your teachers teach you in school, really. It involves giving them lectures about what the law is and then having classes with them when I sit down with them and we discuss the law and we discuss how the law applies and whether the law is good or bad and whether the law ought to be changed. So that's one side of my job, teaching. And then the other side of my job really is research, writing about the law. So this involves staring at pieces of law and seeing how they work uh, with each other. And then I try and place the laws in their historical and social context. And I write books and articles based on this and then where I think it's necessary. I argue the changes in the law or commenting on changes in the law. One big change in Wales in the last year or so is changes which are going to come in in the next couple of years to teaching in school, and in particular, the teaching of religion. So that's one thing where I've been sending emails and briefings to members of the Welsh Parliament about how to uh, define religion. And I've also been writing and um, talking to people about changes in marriage law because we've got a very old law on marriage in England and Wales, and it's failed to keep up with the way in which some um, marriages take place. So the problem with the law is that it requires a wedding to take place in a place of worship, if it's a religious wedding. And that's unfair because some religious groups have marriages elsewhere. They don't marry 
in their place of worship. They marry people in homes or in community centres. And so I've been arguing that that needs to change. Do you think the voices of children should be heard in making laws? Absolutely. Laws affect everyone. And so it's really, really important that everyone's voice is secured. And I think, actually, this is even more important in relation to children, because adults can vote and decide which party should be making the laws and can therefore vote out parties whose laws they dislike. Now, children can't do this, although in Wales, where I'm from, the age in which people can vote in Welsh elections is now 16, not 18. That's a very, very good thing. But overall, I think it's really, really important uh, that politicians listen to children and that people like me analysing and talking about the law look to see how the law affects children in particular. I have a question I ask all of our guests. What were you like when you were 10 and what did you imagine you would go on to be as an adult? That's a very, very good question indeed. Uh, I think I basically enjoyed then what I enjoy now. So writing about stuff, I was often writing some stories and watching TV and film. So, you know, I, I loved superhero films as much as when I was 10 as I do now. But I also remember that I really, really uh, enjoyed writing. And I remember one year in primary school, coming back to school after the Christmas holidays and being asked to write about what happened. I think the teacher was asking us to write about what happened in the Christmas holiday. But I took the opportunity to write a review of the things that had happened in the news that year. And I found a copy of it the other day. And it was a really interesting and, and, and quite funny mix, really, of political points uh, and jokes about what happened in the news that year. I think I imagined that I would go on to write about things. I didn't know what. And I certainly didn't think that I would go on and study and write about law because I had no idea what that was. And, yeah, that's what I've done. I've gone on and written about things. I mean, there's less jokes uh, in the things I write now, and probably that's not a good thing. Thank you so much, Russell, for telling us about laws at Christmas time. Do you have any final advice for children who want to understand more about how laws are made or be involved in an area that improves the way that laws are made? That's an absolutely fantastic question. And it's been a pleasure to be with you on this podcast. My advice would be to get involved in any way you can. Uh, many schools of school councils or school parliaments, and that's an excellent opportunity not only to change the rules and practices of your school, but also to question influence wider laws and wider policies and wider ideas that apply. And it's a good opportunity to learn how to debate. So if your school doesn't have a council or a parliament, then why not ask your teacher uh, whether one can be set up? And there's also youth councils and youth parliaments. That's worth looking into uh, and seeing if you're able to get elected onto them. And there's lots and lots of information on the internet, whether that's about the Westminster Parliament in uh, England, the Welsh Parliament in Cardiff, or the Scottish Parliament in Edinburgh. There's bags of information on the internet. Have a look at their websites and see what they're up to. Well, Alma, what do you think about what Russell told us? Well, 
It's extraordinary that Oliver Cromwell banned Christmas, but people did not agree and they carried on celebrating it. I thought it was very interesting that Russell thought it is important for children to be involved in making laws. And I like the sound of the feasts in medieval times, but I'm not so sure about the entertainment. I think it's interesting to hear how making laws back then had a massive impact on people's freedom to celebrate Christmas and how the state through law can affect personal celebrations, rituals and customs. In our podcast, we've been exploring how laws work and affect young people. All of these things help children understand their rights and responsibilities so they can make informed decisions, not only about their lives, but also about how voting for MPs who make the laws and understanding how the legal justice system works. It's very important that children know that they should be kept safe and that adults must care for them. Remember, if you have any worries, talk to an adult you trust and tell them how you feel. This includes your teachers at school who are there to look after you too. So tell them that you need to talk to them. You can find out more information on our Kids Law Info website. Keep your questions coming in. Please subscribe, rate and share the podcast with your friends. See you soon in the next episode. And remember, have a Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye.